your CV, resume, and your eulogy very rarely have the same things in them. And sometimes we can spend our whole life building the resume. But yeah, at your funeral, even if you have been hugely successful in your career, it's very unlikely that anything in that career will be what people will talk about. So I guess, I don't know where I, where or when I heard that, but I thought, okay, as much as I need to put work into building my resume, I also need to make sure that there's something you know, to say in my eulogy. Hi, my name is Francis Lynch, and welcome to the Living With Purpose interviews. In this episode, I'm talking with Lou Forster, who is a leader in the community sector, a podcaster, and has been a non-executive director with a number of organisations. How do you introduce yourself to people? Well, if it's related to work, I will perhaps frame it in the, in the work I do. I think when you wear many hats, um, that is not as easy if you're on a board or you've got connections in different places. Some of the culture work we've done where I work, Chorus, we, I think I've got my name badge on now. We just have a first name on the name badge. Uh, so no surname and no job title, which to us is a real kind of signifier that you know, the most important thing about us is us. as a, you know, we're, we're a person first. And then you have a bunch of labels other than that. So um, I can probably come across a bit cagey when people ask for an introduction because I'm trying to place you know what what might work for the situation but I think I've always worked with people so um, probably you know start with what I'm interested in or you know what makes me tick or or try and pick up on the other person what might be interesting for them. Do you, do you think that there's a difference for you between who you are in a sense in your personal life and who you are at work or is it does it sort of blend all together for you? It blends together, I think, because, yeah, again, that real people-centred kind of um, approach. I'm Louise, first and foremost, and then I'm talking to you as Francis, you know, first and foremost. And then, then then there's a whole history of, you know, how we met each other and things we might have, you know, worked together on over the years. But really, it's just, you know, mm. person to person. So, no, I think, you know, you, you have different parts of yourself, but... Um, you might kind of have a bit more fun with your friends on the weekend, um, but still, I think in essence, yeah, very much the same, same person. I like to think so, and I, I struggle with people that perhaps put on too much of a facade, and you know, it actually yeah, takes a lot of yeah. energy if you're not your true self. It's um, quite emotionally exhausting to be someone that you're not. Do you think that's changed for you over over time? I don't think so that one thing that has changed over time is being much more comfortable with leading a life that um, I'm happy with and you know meets my values but perhaps other people don't agree with I think when I was younger I would uh, find that hard if, if someone didn't like me or, or didn't uh, agree with something I was doing so at some point about 10 years ago in my early 30s you know some stuff happened and I'm like Actually, as long as I'm happy and I feel like I'm being consistent and true to myself, it's actually okay if other people don't. Um, but other than that, I think I've always been pretty similar, um, you know, very bubbly and very extroverted. I get so much energy from people. So, um, you know, 2020 has been an interesting year with COVID, you know, definitely yeah. lack some energy from people over the over the course of the year. Yeah, but I think um, if I look at my childhood self, it's my dad's um, birthday today, although this will be playing who knows when, but it's his birthday in August and it, I reflected on a photograph that um, 
was with me when I was probably 18. And I looked at the picture and I could just instantly imagine that, you know, dinner, I've got my arm around him and I don't feel much different to that. But, you know, obviously learned, learned a lot along the life journey. It's interesting you talk about uh, being an extrovert and getting energy. Um, I'm the opposite, an introvert. And I wonder sometimes whether it's really real. But when, you, when I hear you say that, it's, it's obviously something that, that makes sense to you. Yeah, and I, I think I, I read something a, a bit more about the energy probably this year. So before, you know, I've heard people say um, extroverts like people, introverts don't. And, and the more I read, it was actually not true. Introverts love being around people. It's just it can be exhausting. So, you know, mm. you go out with a big event and you need almost a day to recover or something. So I thought that was really interesting. It's um, And we make assumptions about each other based on that. So I have two people I work with and one's an extrovert and had assumed that the colleague who was an introvert wouldn't want to do any presenting of um, content you know, to a group because she was an introvert. And she said, no, I, I will have to really work hard to do that, but I would love to do that. So I thought that was really interesting how we can make assumptions and we all probably, yeah, the world isn't split into two anyway. So I would experience extroversion differently to somebody else anyway. But um, I know I get lots mm. of energy from people. So that that's definitely rings true for me. So the work you do at Chorus, do you bring that energy into to the way that you relate to people and, you know, you're, 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 uh, head of brand and culture uh, brand and the and people, people yeah and, and the people side yeah. of things is you know very culture focused so yes but it, it um is made up of people and culture which might be a human resources area volunteering because we have yeah. about 50 percent volunteers in a relatively mm -hmm. large organization marketing and communication and work health and safety so all very people focused and mm. yes i definitely bring all of that to the um to the role and i've the leaders who report to me how, uh, very competent at their roles and have been around a little while. So, you know, it's, there's less doing for me and more being. We just had a re retreat a few weeks ago as an exec team in the middle of winter um, out at a kind of somewhere where school kids would go for a camp. So you can imagine, pretty basic. Um, but we, we came away from that really uh, crystallising um, our role is, is to support and mentor and coach and be and not do or decide too much and you know, to take responsibility but not necessarily direction particularly the way we run um chorus so i've come back even more comfortable with the fact that most of my work is conversations with people and writing the odd thing or you know giving feedback on yeah. on, on a physical piece of work but generally it's conversations nikki howe who we both know says that you know it's based on conversations and it feels weird sometimes that that's your job I, I saw some photos from when you were on that retreat and uh, on social media. And yeah, um, were you were you surprised? Um, I mean, it did look very basic. I can say. Yeah, <laughs> but, 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 were you surprised at where you got to in terms of you know that focus of being you know really about conversations and the way that you manage that with people? Um, I think so because. I'm quite structured in my thinking, so I'm, I want to usually have a clear idea of what I'm going to get out of something. And I, but I knew that we had gone for something a little bit less structured, so I was probably slightly uncomfortable not knowing what we would get out of it. Um, uh, and we also had uh, an Aboriginal uh, guy, um, Sean Nanup, came and um, with two of his nephews, oh, yeah. and we yeah spent most of the first morning with him, and. In fact, that was probably the best thing to do because I just relaxed and just went, okay, we just got to go with the flow here <laughs> and just park time, my usual concept of time. Um, so, that, so then by that 
first, you know, the end of the morning on the first morning, I think I had shared any expectations and then I was just open to what would transpire. Mm. And I think my colleagues were too. For me, the, um, working on our relationships is really important and we do a lot of work, the five of us, on that so that we are as, I guess, constructive as possible in how we work together. Because our view is if we are not getting on or working well together, we don't have to like each other, but you know, respect and work well together. Yeah. The whole organisation, you know, is can crumble from that so yeah we work really hard yeah. on being open and honest and constructive so how, how do you find yourself being where you are now in doing the type of work you're doing now by just following life's path and um saying yes to lots of things i think um so not fearing too much stepping into some unknown um so i think i've always had a vague sense of wanting to achieve but i've never known exactly what so I've always been driven, um, mm. but uh, yeah, I haven't had this you know, very clear path of where I want to go, which has been fantastic because it's let me be really open to possibilities that perhaps if you're too you know, driven down one path, you, you might not say yes to. And one example is you know, where I am at Chorus, it's very heavily in the south of Perth, and I was living in the north of Perth. So I probably wouldn't have applied for the role. I was actually at one of the organisations that merged to form Chorus. Mm. But I wouldn't, mm. you know, it just was felt probably too far away. But the CEO at the time phoned me up and said, you know, would you consider? I'm like, mm, when someone phones you up, it's a different conversation. And she said, well, how about we just have coffee? Um, and, <laughs> and, 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 yeah, within two days, coffee was a job. So it wasn't a formal interview at all. <laughs> I think I know who that was, but Sheila Cummins, who was Scottish, yeah, yeah okay. Sheila, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, uh, she was. A, I did know of her, but didn't know her very well until that coffee, and another colleague um, came, and yeah, it was, but it was just so. It's quite Perth, actually. You know, I think the cities across mm. Australia have quite different uh, ways of working. In London, which is where I come from, a very different way of working, but Perth is very much network driven you know it's who you know mm. and who you're connected mm. to and um yeah and pe don't people say lots of jobs don't even get to be advertised um so yeah that's an example of not planning anything <laughs> if you picture yourself back at that 18 year old at your dad's birthday does now make sense does it sort of feel like a really the journey was predictable or was it really yeah there's there's a couple of pointers which are quite interesting because they're related to parents so I had a conversation with my dad around then probably a little bit before so the 16 to 18 kind of year old age in England you're choosing only a couple of subjects it's a bit less than in Australia and he was mm. desperate for me to kind of um, do business you know his idea was you know get the skills so you can earn uh, the money and you know yep. lead a good life leader well probably lead a life that brings in income to lead a good life was his thinking and I just remember saying I cannot do something I'm not you know interested in or driven to do or and we had a big debate about that so I ended up studying anthropology study of kind of people and society and culture um, which yeah. he he wasn't against but he did find that a bit fluffy um, and then my mum so where's the job in that <laughs> yes exactly there's not many people working as anthropologists although I did see one job advert once and I cut it out and kept it because they, they do exist <laughs> Um, but then my mum was very kind of, um, uh, you know, Jill of all trades, had lots of jobs growing up, was a real hard worker, and she didn't have tertiary education. 
she did lots of care work in the community services sector and in some schools and in, in people's homes and all sorts of different you know variations on that and so I did a lot of my kind of teenage work in that area and at the same time was deciding that I will never have a career in this because this is mum's career it was just handy to get some work in because I had connections and mm. you know so I, I did value the experience I was getting but I would didn't for a minute think that I would make a career out of that um and then I did so that's kind of weird how you know you it wasn't rebelling against my mum but it was saying I'm not going to go down that path but in the end I did um slightly different in the work that I did but the sector has stayed the same my whole career are there things that you learnt back at that that early age of you know doing that work with your mum or in that same area that that influenced how you came to be where you are now um I think it's a work ethic so I have a couple of um scenes in my head you know because you don't remember everything but I remember being at a doctor's surgery after hours um she was doing the cleaning there so that would you know be like a six or seven p.m and I'd just sit and maybe do some homework or help her and that would possibly on you know the way back from an activity one of my activities and then on the way to home for dinner um so there was a lot of fitting life in um and she also she was a single parent for a few years and she never let me miss out on anything so I saw that her work ethic and her um belief in opportunities was really important so she I think I went to a um uh an after school um parent teacher evening when I was about 18 mm -hmm. and there was a trip to Poland and um I had just kind of wasn't really that worried about it and over the desk my mum said to the teacher yeah, Louise will be going. I'll write you the deposit check now and hand it over the table. And he was like, "Okay, okay, this is." And and that <laughs> yeah, was she's going. She's going. She's going. And I was, yeah. She was, and I think for her, it wasn't about living vicariously through me, but just making sure I had all the opportunities in life that would give me the best, you know, choices. And that Poland trip was amazing. I learned an awful lot. Went to um, Warsaw um, and Krakow and saw Auschwitz. Yeah, I don't mm. think anyone that's ever go, gone to Auschwitz ever is the same again. So, you know, deeply changed by that. So, yeah, it was more about, I think, her work ethic and what she wanted for us in life. And so that that's really instilled. Less probably about the actual work. Um, and I think really it was more just probably about people. So so as you, you know, you come to where you are now, has, has it been a, a smooth, straightforward journey or has there been a sort of twists and turns or does it sort um, of, when you look back on it now, seem to just seem as a I think pathway? Uh, it's a def definitely, again, more about opportunities. So lots of the um, places I ended up working or living uh, were a result of a conversation or being at a certain place at a certain time. So it was quite sliding doors, a few of my decisions so I think you know you you couldn't have predicted that um so I lived a little bit in uh, the north uh, north shore of Sydney and that was literally just staying with a friend when I landed before I decided what I was going to do and just so happened that one of the flatmates was moving out and there was a room available and then I thought like, well I need a job and at the time I was very into scuba diving so next day I had a little look around got a job and found somewhere to do my dive master training so I was like well the universe is telling me I'm staying in Manly for a bit and I was there for a couple of years and um yeah met my husband and you know we had a, a daughter and um who's yeah. you know, 14 now so yeah that was literally a conversation and you know staying with a friend overnight so that that's kind of very sliding doors I think and, and a few other jobs have been a little like that 
So other than working in the scuba diving industry for a couple of years, that was probably the most weird box of my career. But it was still really valuable. Um, and yeah. I, I learned how to um, teach people with disability how to dive, more around having a specialised skill for a visa. Um, but that, that did kind of link the work I was doing. And then I realised I couldn't do that for too long and went back to community services. So, yeah, it was a kind of odd stint, but there was still a connection to work I ended up doing. So you, you spoke about, you know, the, the phone call that took you to the work that you're sort of doing now. Have there been other sliding doors moments or, or people who have really influenced the way you work or the work that you're doing? A massive connector. So pretty much anywhere I go, anything I do, I will connect with people and you know, try if someone else is interested connecting on a you know, meaningful level and swapping contact details or if it's professional, like via LinkedIn. So through that, I've had, you know, lots of opportunity. And um, again, I've really nurtured that. I went to a 40th um, birthday drinks a, a few weeks ago and um, lots of us that were there were connected through the MBA at the University of Western Australia. And I seem to know everyone there, uh, yet there was lots of pockets of people that didn't know each other. So every time I moved around, I was introducing people and they're all saying, how, how is it you know all of us, but we don't know each other? And so I think it's just it's just a natural um, magnet for me to find out something about someone, um, share something about me, connect so that later yeah, on we can yeah. you know meet up. So that that uh, way of being, I guess, has really influenced what I've done because I've had lots of opportunities you know proposed to me. And the other one is mm. saying yes to things. So I, I my advice I give to people earlier on in their career now is put yourself out there because I have found a few times I put myself out there and been unsuccessful the first time but because you've then put yourself out there people know that you're interested and often within six months I've had someone come to me and say you know how you you know you're interested in that thing well this thing is similar and would you be interested and if I hadn't put myself out the first time I wouldn't have had the question the second time so yeah knowing people and being really uh, brave, I think, have really led to some amazing opportunities. Yeah, and and I mean, certainly that is similar to how I've experienced you as well. Um, do you find the those opportunities? Do you, do, I suppose how I want to ask this is: Do you feel obligated by the requests made of you? No, um, I, although I was doing business development work for a while, and when you're doing that, you, you pretty much never say no to at least you know, meeting or going somewhere initially, and that's exhausting, um, but but good experience. So I think after doing that and then realising that time is really valuable, uh, I probably, you know, maybe a couple of years ago got to the stage where I would still make time for people, but I would say, look, I'd, I'd be very happy to have a phone conversation with you. And I was doing a lot of driving like you were, um, mm. and so the car time was a really good, you know, time for me. So I would... If I had a request that I thought, oh, I'm just not sure, let's have a phone conversation. And even if if the if that turned into a phone conversation, you get a sense of whether the person is going to commit to their, you know, what they're saying. Sometimes things just, you know, flitter out. So things yeah, like that, yeah. are, are, I found a good way of valuing my time and still not, so not feeling ob obligated to say yes. Um, but still, you know, sometimes I've had some great results from that, from those types of connections. And if I hadn't have put myself out there and you know, something good wouldn't have happened but you know going for just coffee with someone can end up 
taking three hours in a weird way because you're not as productive in the morning and you have to travel and you meet someone and something else happens. So I, I realized that, you know, someone would say, oh, just a 20 minute coffee. But actually that, that, that can really affect your yeah, what well, do you think that, that we have learned through COVID times, you know, the, the use of video technology, has that Without changed doubt. the way that you... It has changed yeah. so much. And um, I love it because in 2007, I was working for a, um, um, a kind of federated advocacy organisation and we were doing e-learning and um, different types of technology to do more, more structured training online. Um, and I can't believe that's, you know, 13 years ago. And just trying to get people to um, adopt that technology was just, that was the biggest hurdle. Um, and it mm. was so valuable because, as we've all seen in COVID, you, know, you can bring talent to many places, not just from A to B, but to you know, uh, people all, all across the world. Um, time zone, getting away a little bit there. But, um, yeah, so I've always had that uh, interest in using technology, not for technology's sake, I'm not really a tech head, but if there's something amazing that can be done through technology, I'm really inspired. And so I was quite frustrated why people wouldn't, you know, adopt this amazing opportunity. And then, you know, lay dormant in my world for a bit, a tiny bit of video chat with um, overseas family. And then suddenly, yeah, 2020 is the year of the video, live video stream. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Can I ask, um, are there particular people who've made an impact in your life? Yes. Um, probably a group of, you know, probably more than a handful of people that for different reasons have made an impact. There's not like one or two who I would say, you know, just completely changed my life. And again, probably that's because I spread myself out. But my MBA cohort, well, actually, we weren't a cohort. So we all, most of my friends that I made um, doing my MBA, uh, we were working what, you know, they would consider would be part-time. So you're doing evening units. Mm -hmm. So you, you kind of just um, ebb and flow with people. Um, I didn't, probably didn't do more than three units with any one person. But again, I put myself out there in the social world and you know try to work with different people in groups but um so I, I made lots of friends um but I came out with and still have so I finished in 2016 um and about seven of us that have just kind of stuck <laughs> I can it's quite sticky yeah you know, which I think of yeah. as being sticky and we've just been there for each other personally professionally socially um and it's yeah it's a really nice kind of mix and when you ask the question about whether I my different self personally and professionally they would you know they, they're very much a cross-section of my life because the professional element is really important you know you, we've all studied to further ourselves and um, yet we have enormous amounts of fun so so, so that, ex that experience that you had of, of being in a program the MBA program and, and being uh, so it's, it wasn't virtual. You did it in in the classroom. All face to face. Um, how val how valuable was that network building for you as part of the process? Yeah, it was. Um, that was probably the most important element for me. I think I, I've written a blog. You know, ten things I loved about the MBA, and um, you know, the content that I learned was great. And I have a, I do apply it regularly. The thinking about the content is probably more important than the content itself. So how you learn to you know, critically think. Um, the people I met, so you know, my peers were really important. Um, 
And just like building on learning as well. So, yeah, you're trying to process the content, but you learn so much from someone else's perspective on, on a, a certain view or, or an approach, you know, the negotiation unit particularly. Um, uh, and even just doing group assignments, you know, if I speak to people that get frustrated about those, I kind of say they are so painful, but they are so valuable because all of those skills that you apply with the high performers and low performers, you use those always in the workplace. So as you know, annoying as they are, they are definitely a good uh, learning tool. Um, but also actually at UWA, the, the opportunities to meet um, broader networks, you know, people in business and sponsors and you know, people at the, the business school, that was really um, valuable. And I always tried to make the most out of those yeah. and did a European study tour. So the cohort that went on the study tour, there was 14 students and two staff, which is an, a nice group size. We had a really, yeah. really good tour. Um, you know, had some amazing opportunities over there um, through networks. You know, got to go to Airbus Space and Defence um, to a site that, if you work at Airbus Space and Defence in Europe, you can't get into. But we had a connection, and it was an amazing experience. So, uh, sounds incredible. It sounds great. The premise of this podcast is about purpose, and so I'd like to ask you whether you can describe what you think your purpose in life is. It's a very deep question, isn't it? I think one analogy I quite like was that um, um, your CV, resume, and your eulogy um, very rarely have the same things in them. And sometimes we can spend our whole life building the resume. Um, but yeah, at your at your um, funeral, even if you have been hugely successful in your career, it's very unlikely that anything on, in that career will be what people will talk about. Um, so I guess I don't know where I where or when I heard that, but I thought, okay, as much as I mm. need to put work into building my resume, I also need to make sure that there's something you know to say in my eulogy. Um, and it's not in a, in a morbid way thinking for me at all. But um, I think people think about you after you've gone in, sense of what difference did you make in their life, um, what type of person were you? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that's just one way of thinking about it. And and one exercise I actually did when I was studying was um, reflected best self exercise. It comes out of a Canadian university, I think. And it's about asking uh, lots of people about three stories when they think you were at your best self, you were your best self. But it needs to be a story mm. of an actual time, and that person needs to explain why they think you were you know you, at your best or your best self then. And it's like the Jahari window a little bit. I got quite a lot of um, responses back. And it was a few years ago when I did it. But sometimes the most insignificant, insignificant is the wrong word, these tiny little things that I said or did or had a massive impact on someone else because of whatever reason. I started a job when I first came to Perth with a woman who'd been out of the workforce for 10 years. And she's probably about 15 years older than me. And she said that the time I spent and the patience I had with her to learn the technology um, kept her in that job. She said, I would not have lasted in that job if it hadn't been for you. And I was like, I can't even really remember that. It, it was just intuitive to me. I like training or coaching. And we had a bond because, we, you know, you, I think when you start on the same day as someone, you always have a bit of a, you know, we're, we're same day buddies. But that, you know, gave me goosebumps, made me teary because I thought, wow, sometimes we just don't know the impact we have on other people. And it doesn't need to be heroic. <laughs> um, so, yeah, things like that. Hopefully I can have a few of those at the end of my life. I mean, you started off earlier talking about being 
focused on people. And when I asked you to introduce yourself, you spoke about that. And so is that part of who you are in terms of actually wanting to be there for people and wanting to be able to support people? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think having some part in someone else discovering something else for themselves, if that's not too mm. a long-winded way. So I don't really want people to, you know, have my help or, you know, achieve something because of me, but I'd love to be able to, mm-hmm. it's like there's a classic coaching really, and I try not to make it too, you know, formal coaching, but if I can have a conversation with someone and, and they are able to unlock something for themselves and then achieve something, that just gives me no end of um, energy and satisfaction really. Uh, and, and vice versa. I think, you know, when, when other people can help you see um, things and, and you, you change the way you think or behave. I've, I've learned definitely to be a lot more open to feedback in the last probably five years. Um, Cause I think it's, you know, we, we're, we're programmed to get really defensive when someone might be criticizing us. Um, and I've definitely learned to, stop and value what anyone says and be curious even if it's um mean i, I realize that it probably means that that person two means in the same sentence but um that they're probably in a, in a different place and so i've become so much more um relaxed about that which is yeah i think it takes you a long time to get there do you think that uh your the purpose or the the focus for your life do you think that that has changed much over the years or is it something that really you're able to see a through line um i think again focusing more on um purpose just generally or or me or the eulogy rather than the resume that has changed and i I remember going to see a woman called rachel green um who does um, some coaching and she's um, a speech pathologist by training but i had a coaching session and she was really trying to dig into you know what what motivates me what are my values what drives me and i was like this is wasting my you know expensive hour of coaching i didn't say that but she must have picked up on that because in my head i wanted to set some goals and get some feedback from her about where i should you know put my energy and it probably took me a couple of years to kind of go, oh, she was onto something. <laughs> um, just it must be a maturity thing. And yeah, but but again, I learned because I was so frustrated at the time. I can now see when people, I, I try not to force feed advice to people because you, you just need to be in the right space to hear it. Um, and I think um, we're doing some work with them. Um, a chorus with uh, some Dutch guys called Corporate Rebels, and um, they go around uh, the world seeing organisations that do well. Sounds like yeah, it's the best job in the world, I reckon, just flying around seeing all these cool things that companies do. But they talk about um, people are just where they are, um, and it's such a simple kind of statement. But you can't drag people along, and you know you can't force feed people. You just got to know that. Everyone is where they are, and like everyone can move and grow, but just accept that people are where they are. So, I, you know, that's quite powerful for me. So, what does that mean for you in the way that you work? I mean, how, does that change how you think about your work? Yeah, and I, I think um, Chorus is a quirky organisation, and probably how we approach things as, as senior leaders is seen as quirky by people who are quite. Um, process driven um you know i dotting and t crossing so when things come up uh people who are quite process driven want to just jump in and make a decision and roll it out and just tell people that we're changing the way we're doing something and we'll be like well you know have we thought about the implications on people's lives and how change is accepted and most people don't like being told actually they like being part of the journey of discovery 
Um, mm. Yeah, so I think it, it does shape the work because um, hopefully we get better outcomes and we build a better organisation by doing that. But I can see in people's faces they just think sometimes it's a bit wacky and also that it's just so time-consuming and frustrating that you can't get decisions made. And um, so, yeah, it, it definitely influences work. Um, and I've learned through thing, big, big projects that have, you know, hit roadblocks or, or really upset people because we've tried to push something through. So I've, I've definitely learned through experience or we all have as a, a group. So, yeah, absolutely. That, that kind of thinking has influenced how I work. There's a lot of, you bring a lot of energy to your work by, by the way you've been describing it. And um, I wonder how you keep uh, charged up, you know, what gives you the energy to keep doing what you're doing? Um, I've always liked, I've always liked building things or problem solving. And so I remember saying to people over my career, I'm not great at just doing, you know, business as usual in a not even stagnated, you know, organisation or, or place, but if it's just daily grind, you know, I was um, talking to carers when I first came to WA in 2005, so every call was different, but it was still really a call centre. It was just kind of, you know, you're a bit more technically skilled with people answering the phones as opposed to perhaps, you know, someone's Vodafone account. But uh, even that every conversation could be a bit different and it, um, and it was there was quite a lot of problem solving within a really short space of time. I just could not motivate myself to be energised in that role. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I said to Sheila, who um, was at Care Options before a chorus, drop me into a red-hot mess, I don't mind that. <laughs> she was like <laughs> rubbing her hands. <laughs> or a project that's got some opportunity, that's why I like business development, uh, things like community engagement and um, uh, performance management when you're really doing hard work with individuals or groups. Um, yeah, they're the types of work that inspire me. So, I, yeah, if it, if it gets too samey or too transactional or too... Um, predictable I could feel myself like I'm having to you know have harsh words of myself to get motivated we need that type of energy and that type of person in every organization so um, yeah that that's that's always appreciated and you can't have everyone the same no uh, it just doesn't work no so, no it really doesn't yeah so tell me are there particular um, sources of inspiration for you at the moment I mean I know you're a podcaster and, and I'm assuming you listen to podcasts or, you know, where, where are you getting some some learning from at the moment? Um, I love audio content and particularly when I was in the car a lot, I found in the last few months I've um, listened to less. So that's interesting because your brain definitely works differently when you're listening as opposed to reading. Um, and I think when I was studying, um, you read so much, um, you know, theory. I think after the MBA, I was like, just give me, you know, some kind of soap, or never really soap, but I got into um, a really cool podcast called Ear Hustle, which is set in a San Quentin penitentiary like prison in California. And um, so it kind of sounds quite wow. out there, but it is the <laughs> most amazing human stories. They are the most amazing human stories and stories within stories. So the, the hosts have... Uh, one host in particular has a story. They're on yeah. season four or something now, and every episode's amazing. It, it's amazingly produced, and the sound, you know, effects are great in it. Um, so I'm always, you know, thinking, listening to something that I enjoy, but then thinking, wow, I love the way they did that. They introduced that, and and, and it'll inspire yeah. me with something. So yeah, I'm not listening to tons of um, podcasts on 
work or, or kind of theory related stuff at the moment because I'm struggling. But when you did ask, you know, you, you gave me a heads up on that question. There's a couple of books that I, they're not that new for me, but I keep going back to them. And that's when you know that they must be working. So the the first one is uh, Drive by Daniel Pink. And I think because I'm so driven, I found it interesting to go, oh, okay, this this there might be a bit of a you know one way of looking at you know drive and that might help me working with others so his three kind of elements are that we need autonomy you know to be able to make decisions for ourselves we need mastery we all need to be able to get better at something and feel good from that and we need to have purpose a yearning to do something in the service of others and that one about service came through when i did um, a series a, a three part podcast series on loneliness and um there's psychological evidence that when we are in service of someone else we cannot feel depression just in that moment it is the most mm. effective thing to do something for somebody else and and you know mm. you feel better about yourself so i like that um drive autonomy mastery and purpose that's daniel pink um yeah. i think it, it just explains why i'm so into people doesn't it really because i want to understand how they tick and whether i can you know have more effective conversations or relationships in the process, because I do, I know you run with with Dan the Chorus Voices podcast, which I've listened to many, many of the episodes, and and I like the way that you often do tell stories, and and you you really rely on the voices of people within the organisation as staff or volunteers or service users. So, is that something that you uh, like? Tell me why you why you like doing that, or how that came about. Um, well, you had an influence in that, Francis. So that's always nice to know. Like, we, I love audio, like I said, and yeah. and I love technology when there's a value for it. So when I thought, oh, wouldn't it be great to record conversations or to have that available for other people? That's how I must have got into um, podcasts. But that was, you know, a good ten years ago, and so it was yeah. before, you know, they were they were more popular than the movies. I think in 2016 in in America. Um, so it was pre that. Um, so I didn't really have a formula. It was just capturing things and sharing them and just, just I guess, toying with um, the, the promotion of, of uh, content. Um, and then, you know, you kindly said, you've been playing with audio, Louise, and can I come and talk to you about what you had learned in your um, kind of uh, yeah, yeah. first exploration, which is amazing. And, and you did me a PowerPoint presentation and some notes, and I still have them, <laughs> and I share them sometimes, and we've, we've referred to those when we were building Chorus Voices. So there was interest, there was a willingness to just experiment. I think with me, I'm, I'm a more of an agile thinker and doer. Um, yeah, yeah, the opposite, the waterfall, yeah, plan, 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 and then maybe don't even ever do it or miss, mismatch, you know, what yeah. you're trying to achieve. So I think I said to the marketing team and to Dan, I, I said to Dan, I think that we could co-host a podcast and I've got some ideas around it. And he was like, sounds great. Yeah. Let's give it a go. And then I said it to the team. It was harder with the team at first. They're fantastic now, but um, that I'm known for having some harebrained ideas and get the kind of they'd, they'd like it but they kind of roll their eyes because they're like oh my god how are we going to pull this off you know get it from idea to delivery um but we said that we would commit for six months and see how it went and it, and it was successful so we kept kept going and kept very committed to it and and how do people you know who you know whether it is a service user or a staff person i mean what what's the feedback that you get about 
those people who contribute and get involved in it? The people that get involved in it um, really enjoy it. I think that's a different experience because that suddenly opens up a world for them. You know, they have a platform and I think people like share yeah. it with their family and friends and, and you can see that people really enjoy that. With the general listeners, it's so frustrating because it's hard to know qualitatively and much about them. Mm. So you can know what platform they use to listen and uh, what country yeah, they're in and how yeah. many, but you don't really get a great picture of who they are and why they like your show. Um, it's just anecdotal. So um, I love it when someone says, you know, I listen to the podcast and I'm like, whoa, what, what is it that, you know, you like about it? I'm, I just, you know, suck up that information. So unfortunately, it's pretty anecdotal. And even when we kind of put calls out to ask for feedback, yeah. you really don't get an awful lot. So you just have to get the crumbs <laughs> and chase those. And, and look, I think it's an, it's an example of a podcast that I've actually given to quite a lot of other people because I think it actually has done an amazing job of being able, for me from the outside, to get a sense of what's actually, what is the culture of Chorus and how how are you being able to, you know, bring these three organisations together and to build uh, a group? And, and, you know, I just think it's been a really successful podcast. So, you know, congratulations, because I think it's great. That is amazing. Yeah. And it's a, that is probably the best feedback, you know, we could receive. Isn't the net promoter score is if you, you're willing to recommend something, because recommending yeah. something puts your reputation on the line as well. So you, you don't just recommend something unless you do believe in it because that person might go, that was rubbish. And what were you thinking, Francis? <laughs> so um, so to, to me, that's, you know, that's the um, epitome of um, feedback. So thank yeah. you. It's, it's um, great to get that. So we're, so we're coming to the end of this episode of, of Living With Purpose. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to, to sort of tell me about that you're involved in or... Well, there was another book, and I think it just it speaks to something else I've learnt over the years. So, um, rather than you know an actual project or anything I'm working on, um, but so this one is another Dan or uh, Daniel Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow. It's a bit of a mammoth read, and probably don't need to read all of it. Sorry, Mr. Kahneman. <laughs> um, but the 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 crux of it is that we've got our um, Savannah. Um, brain and we've got our kind of rational brain and the savannah brain kept us alive but it, it's made us incredibly um, defensive and paranoid and we look f much more for risks and danger um, but it's there for a reason and the analogy I use is I was interviewing um, new staff you know rec recruits in, in an organization with one other woman for a few years so we were you know we might have a third person on the panel but we would have interviewed you know um, 30, 40, 50 people or something over a few years. It wasn't a massive organization, but did lots of interviews. And there were mid to senior level skilled roles. Um, we didn't make all the best hires. And we realized that generally when they weren't, and you don't usually know that it's not the best hire for a while, we realized that one of us had had a gut feel in the interview, but the other one had probably rationally talked that one out. And so we were like, okay, we made a pact that if, if one just had a gut feel, we didn't need to explain it because Daniel Kahneman talks about the um, system one thinking, which is the uh, the quick fire, uh, protect yourself. It doesn't connect well to the linguistic part of the brain. So it's actually quite tricky to, to use words to explain to someone else why you have the gut feeling, um, which mm -hmm. I thought was fascinating. So our pact was if you have a gut feeling, it's just a no. And we've saved ourselves probably 
six or 12 months of uh, frustrating work. <laughs> yeah, I know absolutely what you're talking about. I've, I've had that gut feeling a number of times and, and, you know, down the track, wondered why I didn't trust it. Yeah, well, because it feels weird, I think, and we don't, yeah, we, it's, it's, it's an odd feeling and, and other people, I think, maybe judge us on a gut feeling because it doesn't sound you know, data-driven or, or evidence-based or something. And then you give your rational brain long enough and it'll find some really valid reasons to talk you out of it. That's right. I really appreciate you coming onto the podcast and um, look forward to see where the next part of the journey for you is. Thanks, Francis. And I also, you know, want to thank you and for getting in touch again after being in a different state for a while. And to me, that um, just explains what I'm all about because you make real connections with people and you might not speak for a few years, but when you do, it's great to yeah. touch base again and see what you're both up to. Yeah, great. Thank you. Thanks, Francis. <laughs>